Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast, brought to you by Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, and I'm joined by my co-host, star of the show and Hall of Famer, Kevin Kernan. This is episode 105 on our network. Uh, we're very, very excited about our guest today. Um, Kevin did an original article, him on Ball Nine way back when, and um, very excited uh, to just read where he was then and where he is now. A tremendous, tremendous talent that we have before us. But before we get started, uh, I want to just let Kevin have the floor for a second. Uh, a couple more great articles since we spoke last and some really hot topics in baseball. And if people haven't read it on Ball 9 yet, uh, please do. Tremendous uh, periodical for our baseball fans out there. Support our brothers over there at Ball 9. Obviously, Kevin writes for them and is with us. So, Kevin, great to have you back. And Touch on some of those hot topics you woke people up on the last couple of articles. Well, I just want to uh, actually, I want to get right to our guest, so I don't want to waste too much time on me. Uh, I, 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 you know, one of the things I did was rank the ballparks, and but but I just don't rank them. You know, I've been to all of them except for the one in Texas, the new one, and I talk about what makes them special or what what they missed and. Um, I know the Yankee fans, most of them, uh, the responses I got were pretty accurate because uh, I ranked Yankee Stadium 23rd. I um, saw that. Yeah, and um, and I appreciate you giving me this time to talk about it, but uh, it's, it's it's you know, they took Monument, and, and our guests can just talk about the beauty of the game, so we'll know more about that. But they took Monument Park, and this is one small example. They took Monument Park and turned it into Monument Cave with no respects whatsoever. So, so, you know, number one on my list, I'll, I'll, I'll say was Petco for um, uh, multiple reasons and then PNC. And I didn't make the trop the worst park. And, uh, you got to read the article over at ball nine to find out, but, uh, it's, um, you know, I'm excited about today's show, even though we're only audio today would be a great day to be, um, uh, to, to have, uh, um, you know, video, but we'll, our guests will describe his work in such detail that we don't need it. I agree. I agree. And I, I agree. We should get right to our guests, but thanks for sharing with us. And again, supporters of the show, just a quick message to you guys. We're now up to 10,000 subscribers as of this morning. We've kept our show ad free and sponsor free. We're beholden to no one. Uh, so please download, listen, like, subscribe. And as we mentioned last time, if you feel so kind and you want to support an individual show or an individual uh, host like Kevin here with Coach and Kernan, go to patreon.com, go under our Coach and Kernan show and whatever you think is acceptable, please do so to keep this great podcast going. But now to our guest, um, Craig Kindler. I uh, had an opportunity to speak with him on the phone. And, and Craig, before we talked, I shared with you that it was a, it was a painting of Chulis Joe Jackson that just knocked me off my chair. I think as he describes his works of art, you'll be knocked off the chair too. But 16 plus years in baseball art, um, as we mentioned pre-show, he's nine years backlog. That's how popular his work has become. Grew up in a baseball obsessed family. As you can know, his name is Greg, named after Greg Nettles, a third baseman. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong with that. I thought I read that, that somewhere. But with his background, just to give you some awards before we get rolling, uh, Norman Rockwell Museum Award and Illustration Academy Award from the Society of Illustrators. He's been featured in many nationally distributed books, newspapers, and magazines. Has original artworks hanging in the Yogi Berra Museum, in the Bob Feller Museum, the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, and our very own Baseball Hall of Fame. 
uh, has a unique uh, vision and a unique perspective on baseball and art. And just want to do give a warm welcome to Craig Crindler to our podcast today. Craig, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me, Dave, and thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I uh, I want to just start off with I I read a quote that you had and wanted to just throw it at you, and I figured that would be a good way to kind of warm it up, let you let you expound upon your work in whatever direction you want to go, and then kind of turn turn you over to Kevin a little bit. Sure. But, uh, the quote almost sounded like it was from James Earl Jones on. Uh, field of dreams here, but said no other sport embodies a relationship between generations and the sense of community like baseball. And that was about as simple and profound a statement about baseball um, that I could, could come across. What were your thoughts on that? Where does that quote originate? Um, and uh, t- tell us kind of what you mean by that. Uh, well, I think for me, you know, I actually don't remember exactly where the quote came from or, or how I came up with it or or even if it's attributed to, to someone else and it might be, but uh, just the idea of, of community uh, and, and kind of the, the relationship between generations has kind of always been a part of the game for me, uh, especially, you know, because my, uh, my father is a, a big Yankee fan, grew up in uh, the forties and fifties, uh, you know, in, in New York city. And my uh, mother is a Brooklyn Dodgers fan and somehow, you know, they, were married and and have been married for 50 years and haven't killed each other yet. Um, But, you know, it was very clear to me from the get go that, you know, when, when my dad and mom were taking us to, to Yankee stadium in the, uh, in the early and mid eighties that, you know, he had a history with this, he had a history with this team. And, you know, my mom also had a history uh, with baseball where, you know, they could tell us about, you know, what's going on on the field and, you know, who the players are, but they could also kind of expound on what their history uh, was with the game. You know, dad could tell me about Mickey Mantle and, and Roger Maris and Yogi Berra, and mom could tell me about, you know, going to Ebbets Field and watching Gil Hodges. And this was just, it was, it was just this nice connective tissue that I had with them uh, just kind of from the get-go. So baseball's kind of always been like that for me. Uh, it's just been a way to kind of connect to not only other people my age, but, you know, people who are older than me and people who are younger than me. Your dad had a pretty elaborate baseball card collection also, correct? Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, certainly when he was younger, it was uh, it was pretty insane. And I, you know, I'm sure Kevin can uh, uh, speak about this as well, uh, that uh, it was kind of, all the craze back then. And, uh, you know, he had the horror story of at some point during his early adolescence, his mother throwing the cards out, uh, you know, when she was doing like spring cleaning or something like that, you know, not thinking that, uh, that either my, my dad would miss them or, uh, or, you know, that he, he'd grown out of them or whatever. And this is back when, you know, baseball cards weren't, they weren't worth anything, but, uh, thankfully, uh, he, I guess there might've been a collection of some cards that she missed or, or something because he, uh, still to this day, you know, has a, a couple of, you know what? It's more than a couple. He has a, you know, a couple hundred, uh, let's say cards that are kind of specifically Yankee related, uh, you know, dating back to the, the late forties. Yeah. I heard those horror stories as well. They all started with when I went to college or when I went 
into the army. So when I went to college, I wrapped them up and I took them with me. I was not, <laughs> not going to be a part of that horror story. Um, that's the safe thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. How did those cards influence a little bit of what you do today? And, and what was the very first, do you remember the very first baseball painting that you did that kind of kicked it off? Uh, well, to be honest, I, I, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but those cards ended up being uh, incredibly important in you know, the beginning of this whole thing for me, because, you know, when I was young and, and, and started drawing for the first time, the stuff I was drawing was basically uh, cartoon stuff. You know, I was drawing He-Man and Thundercats and She-Ra and all that. Uh, you know, I'd kind of like, I'd have episodes taped for me and I'd kind of, you know, watch them and pause the VCR at my favorite, uh, at my favorite scene and, and try to just sit in front of the television and draw from that. But I discovered the baseball cards and I, you know, I knew some of the names because of my dad and I noticed, you know, compared to the baseball cards that I had started to get, you know, these like mid to late eighties tops baseball cards, uh, my dad's cards, especially the ones from, you know, the late forties and early fifties, they weren't based off of photography. They were, they were illustrated. And I think back then, you know, I saw that and something kind of clicked in my head that that was something I could do. Not, you know, not as a career or anything or later, you know, down in life, but it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, my dad loves Mickey Mantle. Why don't I try to draw Mickey Mantle and, you know, give him a gift and, you know, get the the proverbial pat on the head, uh, which I, I did many times. Uh, and he gave me a lot of pats on the head. <laughs> um, how good those drawings were. I mean, eh, <laughs> probably not that great, but I guess they showed promise, which was important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I did that for a while uh, in my, in my earlier years. And by the time I, I guess got a little bit more serious about drawing, I kind of moved away from baseball or at least from drawing baseball stuff. And I kind of fell into the world of comic books and, you know, I got into my adolescence and I became weird as we all do and, you know, very self-conscious. And I just kind of, I moved away from the game in general. Uh, I mean, I still kind of, you know, would go to games and kind of keep track of what, uh, what the Yankees were doing, but uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really until my, uh, my last year at SVA uh, the School of Visual Arts, which is where I went for my undergrad degree. It wasn't until that last year that I did kind of like my first uh, quote unquote mature uh, baseball painting. And it kind of all started there for me. It was, it was there that I kind of like never looked back. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great description of how to get into it and um, how you turn something like you were saying about, you know, generational into something so important. And, and I think it's important that people understand and listen to this. One of the things Dave and I try to do is we, we, we try to be different than other shows. And maybe someday some sponsor will recognize it. But um, we let people talk and explain. And, and when I speak at uh, schools or whatever, I always make it clear that there's other ways to make a living if you love sports. And you obviously found a great way to make a living and, and, and follow your passion. I'm going to get into some details here because um, you, you're all about the details. So I, I'm going to make this simple for people. Um, 
I'm going to maybe just throw a couple of names as we go here out. And you tell me about the painting you did and what was so special about it. And, and again, your paintings, uh, you know, I first met you and, and we talked in uh, a couple of years ago. But the paintings are just, they, they, they come to life for a lot of reasons, including, you know, I'll start with, um, you know, uh, the uh, the Mickey Mantle one, because why not? You know, Mickey's the guy. So you got a 1951, I think, when he's in 1951. Talk, tell us how you made not only the person come alive, but the scene come alive and the setting and Yankee Stadium come alive and how that's very important to your work. Oh, well, thank first off, thank you, Kevin, for that. I appreciate it. Um the the mantle that uh, that you're talking about it's probably the one from '51 with him kind of uh, on the sidelines. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that that image, I I've kind of always been fascinated with mantle. You know, obviously because of uh, my father and uh, because of you know his story, which I, I'm sure anyone who's listening knows his story. But uh, to me, trying to make the image come alive or any image come alive, it really comes down to, uh, to light and color for me. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's uh, somebody once said, uh, randomly something about me, uh, about like, uh, he was a painter who knows that Babe Ruth didn't hit home runs in black and white. And that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. So in this particular image of mantle, I kind of, went into, you know, the, the halls of research and, you know, discovered what day the photograph was taken. It was opening day in Yankee stadium in 1951. Uh, and I kind of learned about, uh, you know, in addition to the game and what happened, I kind of learned about what the weather was like and, you know, what the kind of light was like, you know, what the temperature was like. And it little like details like that, that I can kind of imbue into the painting so in that particular painting, you know, Mantle, he's on the, uh, the first base side of, uh, of the stadium, which at the time in April, you know, before a game, uh, if it was sunny out, um, then you would start seeing kind of the shadow of the, you know, facade of the triple deck stadium kind of, you know, starting to engulf the field a little bit. And he's kind of just standing there posing for the, uh, for the cameraman, uh, and, there's another image from that set where he's doing it from the other side, uh, you know, being a switch hitter and all. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just paid attention to that and, and noting that the stuff that was kind of in the foreground, like with mantle and, and the actual, you know, grandstand and the upper deck and everything, that stuff should all kind of be in shadow and everything to the left of that, which is kind of, I guess in the picture, it's kind of more like right center center field that stuff is kind of bathed in afternoon sunlight. Uh, and, you know, it was important for me to kind of give the impression of it being, you know, a mid April, early spring day. Uh, and, you know, in addition to making that happen, I, I kind of, you know, had to make sure that everything in the stadium looked the way it was supposed to look. And by that, I mean, you know, obviously I want to get, the the advertisements the look of the buildings all that stuff i want them to look like not just period but they have to look exactly like they did that particular year that particular game uh and i get you know carried away where i want to be historically accurate about color you know and what the colors of these signs and buildings actually were 
I and think what you're trying to tell us is you're a little anal, but that's a good thing. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like any baseball fan, I, you know, I think I, I came to the realization that baseball fans are very anal and obsessive about details. Mm-hmm. And with mm-hmm. me, it was never about stats. So it, it's just always like this, this visual smorgasbord of, of information that I, I try to just get right. Well, and you know, the ad, you know, I, I think in that painting, you got the ads behind you and, and talking about getting it right. The, uh, uh, Bob Feller, you, you had a chance to meet Bob Feller as well. Yes. But your Bob Feller, no hitter, um, Comiskey Park painting, uh, Give everyone a list who's listening uh, a breakdown how that all came about and why yours is different than others. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was a that was a really cool event where I I was basically uh, I was commissioned by the museum, which I actually unfortunately I don't think it's around anymore. But I was commissioned by the museum to do a painting of uh, Feller during his opening day no hitter. And, uh, I did the painting, you know, I, I did like what I normally do and, and, you know, did the research and, you know, made sure everything looked the way it was supposed to look. And I ended up, uh, meeting Feller, uh, it's, this is about a year or two before he passed away. And <clears throat> he, he kind of like comes out, we were at the, the national sports collectibles convention in, in Cleveland. And, you know, he had just been, I guess, signing autographs for a few hours or whatever, uh, and he comes out from behind this curtain, you know, to to say hello and he shakes my hand and he looks at the painting and he kind of stumbles on his words a little bit and says, oh, that, wow, that, that's the best damn painting I've ever seen. That's Which, exactly how he sounds, too. I met him many times. <laughs> yeah, you know, that gruff voice. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, which, you know, I, I was floored by that. And, you know, I was thinking that he was just kind of saying that because it's like, you know, the, the museum commissioned it and he has to be nice to this random weird artist from New York that he's meeting. But he went on to kind of talk about the painting and how, how uh, he, he said that I nailed, I nailed that day uh, because I had painted, I had painted this scene. It was a very, very cold day in Chicago. It was April 16th, 1940, very overcast. And there were not many people in the stands. And I, you know, I'd done that research and the painting kind of reflected that. So you have like these overcast skies and these deep tones and, and the people in the stands are all, you know, in their black and gray and blue coats with hats. And he, he had talked about somebody else uh, who had done a painting maybe for the museum of the kind of the same scene uh, that he said was a, a beautiful painting, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't what the day was like because it was this bright, sunny, uh, you know, beautiful day. Uh, and he, he, I guess he just really appreciated the fact that I, I went all out to, to make sure that I was as accurate as I could be. Well, that, you know, that's the thing about ball players. Same thing when I, co- you know, cover them, speak to them. They they appreciate hard work because that's they know that's how they got there, and uh, they they know phonies, and uh, they knew very, you know, Feller especially. I mean, I remember talking to Feller one day. I called him, and he was kind of out of breath, and he and he's like eighty years old or something. And he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just, I was just, uh, you know, I was in the back throwing a throwing a ball against the barn at eighty years old." So you know. This guy never never forgot what he where he came from. So I'm going to throw a couple more at you simply because I want in this short period of time we have I want I want people to understand you know how precise your work is and <laughs> and, and uh, you know obviously you've done a lot with the Negro League Museum we can talk about that later but I want to talk a bit, little bit about 
Lou Gehrig's fishing pole, for example, and how detailed, uh, you know, uh, you know, you were with your Gehrig painting. Again, another Yankee iconic moment. And one thing before I forget, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but I used to see it all the time. That great. Well, the reason I love the picture of Mantle was because I remember being at ballparks, especially uh, Yankee Stadium, Shea Stadium, and City Field. Um, early in the year, the way it works, the baseball card companies, if they didn't get the guy in spring training, they get him during the season. And that's where those baseball cards come from. They're, and they always have uh, one or two photographers in New York making taking that picture. That's so right. I could I could just see that mantle picture being set up by the photographer who was assigned to get that for tops or whatever. So they were New York based, and I think he captured that in a moment too. It wasn't just some random photographer taking this picture. This was the guy who does the tops pictures or whatever. So let's get back to Luke Garrick and the fishing pole. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the painting of. Uh of Lou Gehrig uh, giving, well, I, he's not, he's actually not giving his speech in the painting, but he's about to. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, this, this really large panoramic painting, it's uh, four feet by, I don't know, I think seven and a half feet. Where and is that painting? I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm just. The painting is in a, it's in a private collection in, uh, not in Los Angeles, but uh Oh, okay. Uh, where is it? Huntington Beach, I think. Okay. Uh, and the guy actually, the guy actually has it in his office. So maybe it's not really, you know, it's a private collection, but I guess it is on kind of display in the public. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's this large panoramic scene of, of Gehrig uh, standing kind of at home plate in Yankee Stadium, July 4th, 1939. Uh, and Sid Mercer is at the mic. He's kind of emceeing the event and talking about Gehrig. And uh, behind Gehrig, you see his Yankee teammates from uh, from the current team, the 39 team. Uh, and behind Mercer, you see the 1939 Senators, who uh, the Yankees were playing a doubleheader against that day. And a little off to the uh, to the right, you can't really see. I don't know if you can see them in this particular painting, but you have uh, members from the 27 Yankees uh, from Murderer's Row. And uh, kind of in between both of those teams, you have like the, you know, 7th Red, uh, Regiment Band and, and all of these details, including the, uh, the gifts that were being uh, given to Gehrig that particular day, you know, including, you know, uh, uh, silver tea services and, and um, I think like, you know, these plaques and trophies and a fishing pole. And <laughs> I... You know, I'm I'm lucky that the event is so well documented. I mean, you have so many different photographs of it. You have so many different, uh, you know, newspapers covering it. So many newspaper men. Uh, you know, so many, uh, so many films of it. So it wasn't incredibly hard to nail some of that information, but. You know, at some point I, I found myself diving into the archives of, uh, I don't know who it was, maybe it was the Times or, or the Herald Tribune or something like that, you know, trying to get these little visual descriptions of the gifts that he was getting. Um, and not just, you know, oh, he got a a fishing pole. It, it's kind of like, oh, well, he got a fishing pole that was wrapped in this particular bag and the bag was this color. Little like throwaway comments uh, that, you know, the newspaper, newspaper men might make uh, that are absolute gold to me. Uh, so, 
it, you know, it, it was just kind of an important thing for me to get that stuff right too, especially since uh, some of those trophies and gifts are actually still in existence and uh, at the hall of fame. Um, you know, there's always like this fear of me uh, doing something and kind of getting a little detail wrong and being called out on it by somebody, you know, that's, that's where the anal baseball fan uh, thing strikes again. Yeah. Um, I, I think I go through the same thing when I write, if I get yeah. something wrong like that. So I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've, and you've been writing for a long time and obviously, you know, you're probably just as obsessed and, and crazy as I am. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure that this kind of stuff keeps you up at night too. <laughs> like, you know, the fear that you've gotten something wrong or just, you know, the need to make sure that everything is right and perfect. No, that's, it's great. And, and along those lines, and I, I urge people to maybe go to the ball nine piece I did in December of 2020, but uh, you know, just Google you and look at these, these, uh, and I'll, I should mention, I'm sure. And Dave, I'm sure. Cause Dave has everything locked up, but uh He'll mention, uh, you can mention your websites or whatever later. We can put you more than nine years behind, maybe. Uh, <laughs> work. Uh, but uh, another painting I love, and um, Jimmy Fox, uh, I love the uniform there. The, the I think he's stepping on home plate. Uh, um, you can talk about that, and then I have one more question, and I'll throw it back to Dave. Sure, yeah. The Well, the one that you're talking about, that's actually a pretty old one, too. Uh, it's... Uh, I think I did that in maybe 2007 or 2008, which my gosh, seems like forever ago. Uh, but the painting uh, it's of Jimmy Fox crossing home plate after a home run at Scheib uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, I want to say that it was in 1932, but it might be 33. I don't remember off the top of my head, but you know, he's, he's kind of just crossing home plate and you can see his face a little bit and just the bagginess of of his jersey is just so ever present like you can kind of you can kind of denote every single ripple and fold which which is what originally kind of attracted uh, me to that image uh but it was a very hot and steamy day uh in Philadelphia that day and i kind of tried to paint shib to reflect that where you know there's a lot of haze and and uh, the park, even though at that point was, you know, this dark green color, it kind of takes on more of a, you know, like a bluish tone because of that haze. I, that's one of those paintings that I kind of wish that I had back, not uh, like, not, not because it needs to be fixed, but I, I feel like there are certain things that I would do a bit differently to make that effect, uh, to make that effect more obvious. What's uh, the one thing you would do differently if you had it back? I, you know what? I would probably tighten up Jimmy a little bit more. And I think the, the background haze, like this is, this is going to be, this is going to be kind of weird to, to say, but I would probably, though I would keep it blue, I would try to kind of warm it up a little bit and maybe have a little bit more variegated color uh, in it. So you know, it would, the blues would still be there, but I would also have some, some, uh, some cooler reds and cooler greens. And it just, it would, it would seem more, at least in my head, it would seem more alive to me if I, if I were able to kind of have it back and, and, you know, could play with it some more. 
Well, that, you know, that gives, gives great insight in, into the artist because uh, I'm looking at it right now and I can see what you're saying. And uh, But again, that, that's the progression, how, you know, you get better or whatever. And, uh, and, and it, again, this is phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about phenomenal or incredibly phenomenal. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know I, I'm sure Dave can ask about Satchel Page and stuff like that in a minute. But I want to ask about the... Uh, Modern day too. You got you got Mariano Rivera, and I know I you know I was good friends with the photographer who took the picture that I think you built this off of. You know, coming in from center field, that was Anthony Causey's photo. Um, unfortunately, Anthony passed away a couple of years ago during the COVID stuff. Um, um, but uh, the Mariano Rivera coming in from center field, um, how did that come about? And I, and I am curious. I always find it interesting where these paintings wind up. I, I don't know who, who has that one, but uh, just talk about Mo and uh, Enter Sandman. Sure. Well, that painting, uh, that painting was a lot of fun to do. It was actually the first time, well, you know what? It was the first and only time I've painted Rivera. Uh, I've always been completely marveled uh, uh, by, by Rivera. I mean, obviously as a Yankee fan, you know, I have to love him, but I think he kind of transcends the Yankees just in terms of his abilities uh, and you know, his poise, uh, the, the painting painting was just done for a, a client. who's you know, he's also a, a Yankee fan, uh, out in, I think he's in New Jersey. Uh, and he has, this guy owns a, a few paintings of mine, mostly of like dead ball era guys. But, uh, in this particular case, he kind of wanted to, you know, memorialize, uh, Mariano. And he just, you know, he saw this image, he saw Kazi's photo and he basically said, that's what I want. <laughs> and I mean, to be honest, in that particular instance, I mean, especially with, with the modern guys, uh, I didn't really, I didn't really have to do all that much because, you know, Kazi is such a, such a great photographer, someone who I, I really wish that I, I could have met in person because I think oh, everybody he would have loved you. You guys yeah, talk for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, like everybody who crossed paths with him. I, I remember Kevin, when you and I were talking about him, you know, two years ago, you were telling me some stories about him and how wonderful of a guy he was. Um, but yeah, I mean, he kind of laid it out perfectly. And I think that that image just, that image that he caught just embodies everything that Rivera is and everything like you think of when you, when you think of Rivera, you know, and you think of him, you know, kind of jogging, uh, out of the outfield, you know, to, to Metallica's enter Sandman, you know, coming in to hopefully keep the Yankees, uh, in the game <laughs> and win <laughs> didn't happen all the time, but it happened 99% of the time, which is pretty good. If you're a closer, what year did you paint that? I did Probably, that. Yeah. I want to say it was in maybe 2011. Okay. I think, maybe. Okay. And and that that image was from uh, probably uh, a few years earlier, I would imagine, right? Yeah, it was from. I think it was from the the O three or O four ALCS. Well, that's another great thing about the painting because you know you're doing Rivera, but you also capture. Yankee Stadium before they screwed it up, you know, and made the new Yankee Stadium. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and and just the way the you know, the fans are, you know, the fans are kind of on top of the action. He, he's got his head down. He's coming in determined to do what he does. And, um, you know, I, even I noticed uh, 
you know, the get the uh, the the action on third base where the third base uh, the, the runner on third is squatting and uh, the coach is talking to him. So yeah, I mean, you get you get every detail. So it's not even though Rivera is the center of the photo, everything else is you know is it's important to get it right. I guess I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I mean honestly, like I. I feel like I, even though I did the painting, I I feel like I can't even take any credit. Like that's just all, that's all Anthony, you know, he just, he got it perfectly. Um, he was, he was something else. Yeah, he, he really was. And, and, and I, I know you, uh, before I go, we'll go to Dave right after this one, but, um, are you working on anything right now? That's, I mean, obviously you're working on a lot of stuff, but is there anything super special that you want to do right now? And are you, I know you do a lot with the Negro Leagues, but are you doing any any um, current day players right now? Um, or are you in the middle of that kind of work? And, and just from a technical standpoint, how many paintings do you work on at once, or do you just throw yourself into one painting at a time? Well, I'm I'm kind of the type of person who needs to jump around a lot. Okay, uh, that I, makes I, sense. Yeah, yeah. I I just I, I have a lot of stuff. I mean, if I if I could show you guys, you know what what the studio looks like right now, you'd probably be terrified. Uh, they're just like stacks and stacks of of unfinished paintings, um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like I, the the way that I paint, uh, and the, you know the fact that I'm using oil paints kind of lends itself to that because, uh, you know, because I can let's say I can I can block in. A painting I could do kind of like an initial block in where I'm just kind of getting started and I'll spend a few hours on that and then I need to kind of let it dry for a couple of days before I can get back into it so I can you know take that off the easel and then you know jump on something else that maybe is a bit further along and then you know I'll do a little noodling on that and then maybe you know take that off the easel and do something else well that gives you time to uh, kind of like uh, think about it too and make it you know the way you want to make it so it's not just you know I guess so. It's not assembly line, if I can think of a better word. I don't know, but yeah, you, no, it, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you know for sure. Like you know, you, when you're when you're writing, uh, if you're spending you know hours on a piece or whatever, and you know, let's say you finish it up or you you get as far as you need to get, you know, you take a break. You need to come back to it with fresh eyes. Uh, that's it's the same same thing with painting. Uh, and I kind of so like right now, the the big thing that I'm working on is this, it's this really large uh, painting of this 19th century uh, scene at a ballpark. And it's, it's, you know, this huge panoramic thing and there's a lot of visual information in it, you know, where there's detail in the stands and you have all these fans and, you know, grass and there's just so much going on. And I've been working on it, uh, you know, for the past couple of weeks you know, trying to, uh, trying to finish it up. But there's so many times when I've just kind of needed to put it down and just put my energy towards, you know, maybe a smaller painting and, you know, just blocking it in and not being so, not being so particular about the, the strokes that I have to make, like, uh, you know, where I, I can be a bit more carefree in how I put down paint on a painting that I'm just starting as opposed to this one where it's kind of like every single millimeter has to be absolutely perfect. Yeah. You, you explained it so well. So I'm going to toss to Dave now with this comment. Um, get, you know, I think we, when we have people like you on, it's very special and get your kids off TikTok. maybe listen to uh, coaching Kernan and, and, 
and uh, you know, uh, real voices of the game, learn something. And 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 kids, because uh, like I said, we have ten thousand subscribers, and I, I want to try to get us more in the educational end of it, because I think there's not enough there's not enough uh, work being done to bring people who actually have interesting jobs and how they got there. Uh, you know, instead we're looking at, you know, you know, how to make a chicken with some kind of goofy, uh, uh, antacid or something on, on a frying pan. So the kids really, and the parents need to get on board and start uh, guiding their kids the right way. So, so they have some role models, not just athlete role models. And I think you're a perfect example of that. And, and now my speech is over. Go ahead, Dave. Oh man. <laughs> I love your speeches. I think they're great. And then that's, that's a clear direction as to where we're going with the podcast. It's always been to build a better baseball IQ, but there's so many, uh, there's so many wonderful people around the game like Greg and, and like Kevin that these kids should emulate as well. Um, Greg, I'm going to ask you, you know, why I'm drawn to great writers like Kevin and, and great artists like yourself. You guys capture the individual, I mean, to a T, but you also capture those micro and macro stories behind the individual, like the fishing pole story. Um, but th- there was a tipping point in your career that kind of, um, it, it's a unique style of painting that you went into and, and a unique history of the game Kevin alluded to, but I'm going to throw two names at you and talk, uh, sh- share with us that relationship between those two and how it kind of took your career off. Jay Caldwell and Monty Sheldon. Oh, <laughs> well, those, uh, those two people are definitely very important in my career, uh, and life. For sure. Uh, Monty, I've known Monty Sheldon for, uh, wow, almost 15 years now. I've actually known him almost as long as I've been doing this. Uh, I met him at, uh, it was actually the same convention that I met uh, Bob Feller at. I met Monty. And Monty uh, is a fellow artist who, his canvases are actually baseballs where he'll kind of, he'll paint uh, you know, if, if someone asks him to, to do uh, an art ball of, of Babe Ruth, you know, he'll, he'll do a, a portrait of Ruth on the ball and, and also an action shot. And then there'll be uh, some writing about Ruth, whether, you know, it's his name and stats or whether it's a specific story or something. And he just kind of concocts this beautiful three-dimensional object that is, it's almost like a little Fabergé egg. You need to kind of see it in person to kind of appreciate how, how beautiful it is. Uh, but he's he's been basically like one of my best artist friends for the past decade, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and he he introduced me to Jay Caldwell. And Jay Caldwell uh, is a he was a collector who was based out in the Pacific North uh, Northwest. Uh, he's now in Florida, but at the time I, I who is it in Florida? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, my parents are there, so. Uh, so yeah, so Jay, uh, Jay was a big collector, uh, and I met him, uh, in like 2015 or 2016. Uh, he mostly collected, uh, I think cards and some, you know, memorabilia here and there, but he had a specific focus, uh, on stuff from the, the Negro and Latin American leagues. And, I, you know, Monty kind of introduced me to him just thinking, oh, well, you know, I think he really likes your work or would like your work. And I think you guys should meet because, you know, maybe, maybe something can come out of it. And I met him and, uh, well, something came out of it. 
Jay, Jay really liked what I did. Uh, and he was interested in kind of having me do a couple of paintings for his collection, uh, some of his favorite Negro leaguers. And uh, I was thinking, okay, great. You know, I, I've never... I've never painted Satchel Page. I've never done Josh Gibson or Cool Papa Bell or anything. So I'm I'm all about it. You know, I want to I want to paint these guys, and you know, I'd love to learn something as well. And uh, you know, we we kind of talked about it uh, over over a couple of weeks, and his ideas of what he wanted me to do for him became a bit uh, more grand, and turned out he got it in his head that, you know, this is, this is like 2016 that we're in the thick of it, in the thick of our conversations. 2020 uh, was going to be the 100th anniversary of the formation of the Negro National League in 1920. And he wanted to team up with the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City to have uh, an exhibition there to kind of celebrate the centennial. And he was going to have a lot of his artifacts there and, you know, cards and, and whatever memorabilia he had, uh, and a lot of artwork from Monty and a couple of other artists. And he wanted me to participate in that. And suddenly, you know, what started out as being 10 paintings, uh, suddenly 10 paintings became, I think 20 and then 20 became 50 and then 50 became, you know, a hundred and then 150 and 200. And yeah, what it just grew into this monster where we had all of this time to, uh, I mean, you know, in, I guess in my case, I had all of this time to actually produce the work where he had basically, you know, he'd send me a list, uh, of the players that he wanted to include. Uh, and these were all, uh, all players from, from the Negro leagues, from the Latin American leagues, from all those different countries, uh, you know, from all these different teams, people that uh, people that so many people had never heard of that so many fans had never heard of. I mean, he sent me this list of, you know, 250 players or whatever. And if, if I had, if I had, you know what, if I had heard of 20 of them, then I think, <laughs> I think that's the, yeah, I, I think I'd maybe heard of 20 of them. That's like the high, the high number. It's like I was, you know, 90% ignorant to, to those leagues and, the, and their history. So in a way, you know, in those four years, as, as you know, I'm kind of building this, this, uh, this portfolio of work of, of these players, I'm, I'm also learning so much about them and, and gaining such an appreciation for those men and in some cases women uh, and, and what they went through uh, in this country, you know, not, not only in the, uh, on the, on the fields, but, you know, also kind of uh, personally and, you know, economically and, and, and later on in life. And, and it was, it was just a really special thing to be able to do. Uh, so, you know, come 2020, I was done with all the work and Jay had kind of put this thing together where, you know, we were going to have the show <clears throat> at the museum and, you know, he'd gotten all these products made, whether, um, you know, whether they were like uh, baseball card sets or, or, or postcards or t-shirts or bobbleheads or whatever. And, you know, 
a lot of the proceeds were going back to the museum and going back to the, the families of the players. And it opened up, and then a month later, COVID happens. So <clears throat> the show was uh, not, I guess, as it was successful and it was, you know, still incredibly important that we had done it, but uh, not as many people were able to see it. Uh, so thankfully when things got a little better uh, around the country, uh, the museum agreed to kind of keep the show up uh, and, and more people were able to see it. And last year, kind of early last year, Jay kind of got it uh, in his head to make uh, a book of this stuff where he could kind of, you know, showcase the artwork, but also kind of provide, uh, you know, provide kind of like a, a resource for people wanting to learn the history of, of these players and these leagues and kind of have it in a, in a digestible format where it's kind of all in one book. And, you know, it, it, you have the color illustrations and you have essays from, you know, historians and, and saber people and, uh, yeah, and that, that's kind of what he put out at the end of last year, and that's kind of what he's pushing now. Outside of that, I mean, obviously, pure volume alone kept you busy and was sure was challenging. Were there any other challenges with doing the, outside of COVID too, <clears throat> doing the, these particular pieces on the Negro League players? Absolutely. It was, it was some of the hardest stuff I'd ever had to do because, uh, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, baseball, I think, I think baseball has to be the best documented sport in, in history. Uh, and that kind of applies mainly to the white leagues because the, the Negro leagues and Latin American leagues weren't getting the same kind of coverage, uh, newspaper coverage that the white leagues were getting. Uh, a lot of the people that were covering the, the Negro league games were African-American newspapers uh, and these were papers that were running, uh, a lot of times they were running weekly. Uh, and, you know, maybe they didn't have uh, the resources to hire photographers or, or even, you know, writers to kind of write about this stuff constantly. And the white papers kind of ignored uh, a lot of that stuff. So finding, finding imagery of these players was really hard. Finding, uh, you know, information about uniforms and, you know, like color stuff was even harder. I mean, it was the hardest thing that I've kind of ever had to do in my career. Uh, and, you know, even, even now, you know, even though these paintings are done, you know, there's still some that I'm kind of like, well, you know, I had to kind of make an educated guess on that color. I'm not sure if it's right. <laughs> and I mean, granted, I don't know if there's really uh, anyone alive or very few people alive who would tell me that I'd gotten something wrong, but you know, I still want to get it right because, you know, I'm, I'm providing kind of this history through like a new lens. And I just want to make sure that these, these people are, are represented honestly. Uh, and that that's kind of like the most important thing to me. Now that fear is a wonderful motivator. I think for, for most people that are obsessed like yourself, um, and I and I admire it and marvel at it. Did, did you want to chat about Satchel Page at all in particular? Uh, his particular painting. I mean, Satchel. What I love about Satchel, and what you know, what I think draws so many people to him, 
you know, outside of the fact that he's, you know, such a, a colorful character uh, and an incredible pitcher, for me, just the fact that I did, I, I want to say, I think I did about 16 portraits of him for Jay because in every painting, he's in a different uniform, like with a different team because he played for, I don't even, I, I couldn't even give you a number, but he played for so many different teams and there were still so many teams that I couldn't find any information for, you know, whether they were kind of like the first teams that he played for or just kind of, you know, random semi-pro teams. Just the fact that you have this, <clears throat> this man who, you know, was basically should be in the running for best pitcher of all time. And still there's just like so much about him. That's a mystery. There's something so appealing about that. And I just, I, I love, I love painting him, you know, any, any chance that I get. Yeah. Two of my favorites I saw in the Negro leagues, the cool Papa bell. I love, um, I have a small painting of one of his tobacco cards from way back and Josh Gibson, um, as, as a, one of the best catchers of all time. So the one that knocked me off my chair was the shoeless Joe Jackson. And it was from the neck up and it was just his face and the sharpness of the features and the jawline. I thought it was a real picture when I saw it. I think I expressed that to you. Uh, yes, we thank you. Kevin, we've, we've had Greg on for that's almost an hour now. Do you have any final questions you wanted to? Well, just the last question I've always, I ask everyone uh, and, and he has a unique perspective on this, um, you know, and, and he answers any way you want. Uh, but basically, what what is a what does it mean to you? What what is a, being a ball player? What does it mean to you? You've seen it from different eras, different ages, and you study them in a different way than maybe a fan looks at his favorite player. So, so being a ball player, what what does that mean to Greg Kringler? You know, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, and I, this is going to sound kind of corny but I'm going with it. The first thing that comes to mind is kind of the camaraderie between teammates. And I, I don't know if that's because, you know, I obviously I, I've looked through tons and tons of, of imagery uh, throughout my, you know, throughout my life or whatever. And I've, I've become, I don't want to say numb, but I've seen like so much game footage and I'm so familiar with it. What, I get really attracted to is stuff that I see from before a game, uh, you know, when, when the players are just kind of soft tossing with each other or, you know, chatting or, you know, spring training, just seeing, seeing the camaraderie between the teammates. There's, there's something, there's something about that that is just super kind of appealing to me and something that just kind of says, ball player to me i don't i don't know what it is um you know maybe it's like my my love of of norman rockwell or something like that but just it's just all about those quiet moments for me um which is kind of weird because i guess it doesn't have that much to do with actually playing no, that's a great answer because i mean that you, you you're capturing the essence of uh, what it means to be a ball player well, thank you. that'll be a great painting opportunity right there just in your mind ball player and you probably come up with a zillion of them. Yeah, yeah. seriously. 
name it ball player. Um, Greg, where can we find you? Where can our audience uh, locate your paintings? How can they, I guess it would, we're hoping we double your output now that you're backlogged 18 years after this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How can they find you? Where can they appreciate your work? I hope I live that long. Um, well, you can, uh, you can see my work. Uh, you can go to my website, uh, which uh, is uh, gregkreinler.com, G-R-A-I-G-K-R-E-I-N-D-L-E-R. Uh, and you can find me on pretty much every social media platform. Uh, just, you know, if you, if you know how to spell my name, you can find me. Uh, I'm even on TikTok, though I don't do anything on that because I think I'm, I hate to say it, I think I'm too old. And I just don't, I don't have the same kind of, uh, you know, fervor for it. that, that put, 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 it, put one of your paintings in a frying pan with chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get, you'll get a million hits on that. Yeah. But will people want to commission me to do paintings or will they just want me to put more paintings in more frying pans? <laughs> but yeah, that you can find me there. Uh, as long as you can spell my name or can spell my name somewhat correctly, you know, if you do a Google search for me, you can find and me. Let me spell it for everybody. K-R-E-I-N-D-L-E-R. You got Kreinler. it. And it's Greg, right? Yeah. G-R-A-I-G. Yeah. Just like Greg Nettles. Yep. And that, that was the story, right? Dad named mom and dad named you after the third baseman. Yes. Well, what's funny is that, so, I, you know, I was born in 80 and my dad, uh, you know, my dad, obviously a Yankee fan. Yeah, of course he loves Greg Nettles. It was my mom, I think, who actually picked the name because she had seen it and she's like, oh, I really like that spelling. She thought it was really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, she suggested it. My dad's not going to say no. Are you kidding? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it happened. Yeah, my, awesome. my parents went the other way. My dad was pushing Mickey, as you can imagine, who was that after? It wasn't Mickey Mouse and uh, Mickey Mantle. My mom wouldn't let him do it. No, he <laughs> wanted me to be a junior, so ah. Mickey got thrown up. But I still was a switch hitter and wore number seven. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, but uh, Greg, we, we appreciate your time here. Phenomenal uh, illustrations. Uh, how you described it, and how, what Kevin Girardi today, I think, gives our audience a, a fantastic view of. Uh, at least a, a glimpse of what you can do. And, and I want to let the audience know you've influenced me as well. I told you in our private conversation, and since we made you take some private stuff public, I'll do the same. My children all homeschool, and we try to do a lot what Kevin had mentioned. And they were pushing me to start learning some art or music because I have n- none of that in my background, and they all do. So I picked up, they got me drawing on the right side of the brain as a book. And I started doing my first drawings the day we spoke. And uh, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to show them yet, it, they, look, they look pretty close to a sobriety test with what I did, but uh, I'm still going at it. I'm still trying to. So I appreciate your encouragement there too. You uh, you seemed excited when I told you about that book. Yeah, keep it up. That that Betty Edwards book is fantastic. But I Maybe right now, if, it, you know, if you can't get a hold of Greg, I have nothing on my log in terms of people wanting painting, so I may be able to pick up. Some- <laughs> I'll start. It. I'll start sending people your way. <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll be right back to you in two seconds. <laughs> but, uh, uh, audience are our 10,000 subscribers. We appreciate you so much. Please make sure you listen. Uh, you download, listen, like, and subscribe, comment if you if you so be it. Uh, also go on patreon.com. Feel free to donate to our show here uh, to keep Kevin going with the work that he's been doing. He gives phenomenal shows every week to you. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I finally bit the bullet and got on those particular websites. And we are on episode 105 here with Coach and Kernan, brought to you by the real voices of the game. Also, please, and I know they do this, but 
please continue to read Kevin on Ball 9. Phenomenal articles every week. I know he's got two more coming out this week. And uh, guys, Greg, thanks for the show again. Kevin, phenomenal job bringing out the best in our guests. You always do. Well, and- he's, uh, it was easy. I mean, um, I think people just step back like he does and looking at his painting, step back and listen to what he had to say. And you'll, you'll learn a lot here about everything. Yeah, no, I agree with you totally. Thanks again, guys. Great show. Thank you guys for having me. It was an honor. Appreciate it.